I was reading in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning in my devotion times when I woke up, and so I'd just like to share a little bit from the book of Hebrews, which is a really interesting letter uh, that we don't know the author who wrote it, but it is uh, a person who had a heart for God's church. There were a number of Jewish individuals who had trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, but it was very difficult for them to be following after Christ. In the time that they lived, in the place where they were at, there was great persecution, especially from other Jewish people who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior that he had promised to send. And so these Jewish Christians were beginning to lose faith. They were beginning to waver. And they thought, well, maybe what we should do is we should just go back to being Jewish. You know, Jews worship Yahweh, the, the Father. Um, and, you know, Yahweh the Father is God, just as Christ is, is God. So maybe if we just worship Yahweh, there'd be less persecution upon us. We could do our work. We could have peaceful families. And things would go back to what we, what we knew before. And so the writer of the Hebrews letter is, is challenging them and saying, Listen, we cannot give up on Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of everything you used to do in worship. He is better than the angels. He is the better priest, the better sacrifice. And if we turn our back on Christ, we're giving up on the greatest gift that God has given to us. And so this is a real challenging letter, and it's a letter that signifies the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. And so one of the aspects of that is the aspect of how they worshiped in Israel. Um, when the Israelites came together for worship, they would often bring sacrifices and animals that they would, uh, they would sacrifice to the Lord and they would give as an offering uh, to show that they understood their sins were serious and their sins needed atonement. They needed to be paid for. The Jews recognized the severity of sin. They recognized how serious sin is. And that's one of the things we've been talking about quite frequently here on Saturdays. And we need to talk about it because we live in a world where sin just isn't serious to people anymore. People think that sin is not a big deal, that they can kind of do what they want to do, and as long as they're not killing anyone, or as long as their actions don't put anybody in the hospital or do serious harm to anyone, then it's not serious. But sin is not only bad because it hurts people. Sin is also and primarily bad because it is an offense to God who has given us the law. God has told us the difference between what is good and what is evil. And we break the laws of God. We're not just hurting each other. We're hurting the, the name of God. We are insulting God by rebelling against his instructions. And so in the Old Testament, they would come and they would offer a sacrifice. And that sacrifice in, the, in their minds would, would show a symbolic covering for their sins. It would remind them that they have a merciful God who, who wants to rid them of sin and wants to overcome their, their, uh, their iniquities, their breaking of the law. And, and so they would bring these offerings and they would do it time and time and time again. In fact, there was an offering that was given once a year on the, on the Day of Atonement, a, a holiday they called Yom Kippur, where they would sacrifice two goats, or they would take two goats and they would sacrifice one for the sins of all the nation, all the sins that the nation had failed to confess or forgot that they had done or didn't even realize they had done. They would sacrifice a goat to cleanse that sin, and then a second goat they would pray over and release into the wild as a symbol of God's mercy and grace. So Jesus has come, and he has changed things. By the time this letter is written, Christ came and he lived the law out perfectly. He did everything that the law required. He was always loving. He was always faithful to God the Father. He always 
uh, respected the, the law that had been given through Moses. And so he fulfilled the law. He did what no one else could do. And then he gave his life as a sacrifice. He died like somebody who hadn't fulfilled the law. He died like a criminal, like somebody who was a lawbreaker. He let himself be put to death and crucified so that all who would trust in him, their sins would be crucified on his body. And in doing so, Jesus fulfilled the sign, the, the symbols that the Old Testament had always brought forth to point forward to the ultimate sacrifice. You see, the book of Hebrews teaches us that there is no real forgiveness or sacrifice when you shed the blood of a goat or a lamb. Those sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament system were a lesson for the people of Israel to see that blood had to be shed, but they all pointed forward to the only one sacrifice that was worthy, and that sacrifice was Jesus Christ. A lamb is not the same as a human being. A goat is not the same as a human being. Jesus, being a man, suffered in our place and was qualified to pay the debt that we owe to God. So I want to read a little bit out of Hebrews 10 for you to help you understand how much things have changed now that Christ has come and did what he did. It says in verse 19 of Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here's what the writer of the book of Hebrews is telling us. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, confidence to enter into the holiest of places. Now, as sinners, should we have confidence to come near to a perfect and holy God? We shouldn't. Since we have broken the law of God and God is our judge, it should cause us great fear and trembling to draw near to the Lord God. And in fact, every place in Scripture where you see someone drawing near to the presence of God, they can't help it. They tremble. They have to be told by God or by an angel, don't be afraid. God's going to have mercy on you. And if, if we were to go into the presence of God right now, we would be in such awe and wonder that we would be trembling to be in his awesome power, in the, in the presence of his awesome power. But it says here in, in, verse 10, in verse 19, we have confidence to enter into the holy places, not because we are worthy of being there, but because the blood of Jesus has washed away all of our guilt. We have broken the law of God. But if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, and not everyone has, but if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, then the debt that we owe to our God has been paid 100% by Jesus in his suffering. The fact that he was willing to wear the crown of thorns and take the, the, the 40 lashes on his back, the fact that he was willing to be nailed to a cross and to have his blood flow freely in front of us, the fact that he was willing to suffer that agony and shame, and the fact that he was willing to have the Father turn his face away from him, to become like sin for us, the fact that he was willing to put our sins to death on the cross 
means that our sin can be 100% taken care of by Jesus forever. That's the only reason we can have confidence to come near to God. If I come to God and, I, and my confidence is resting on what I have done to be a good Christian man, then I have false hope. I have a, a confidence that is dangerous. It is a confidence that, that, that should instead be fear. Because even, even though I love the Lord and want to do what is good, I break the law of God. I, I don't always follow God's commandments. I'm not always as loving as I should be. I'm, I'm proud sometimes when I shouldn't be. I'm not honest as, as much as I should be. There are things that I do that disgrace the law of God. And so I should come before him with fear and trembling knowing that he is a good God and he has to judge sin. The only confidence that I can have coming into the presence of God is if my faith and trust is firmly in Jesus Christ. If I have recognized that my sin is serious and is worthy of God's condemnation, if I've recognized that all of my efforts could never undo all the sin that I have done and continue to do, if I don't see that I'm hopeless apart from the work of Jesus Christ, and if I don't put my faith in him and his perfect work, then I have no business being near to God. I should run away from Him. I should try to flee from Him. Not that you can get away from God, right? But my attitude should be one of, of terror. But this is, this is the power of this passage in Hebrews, is that because those who have trusted in Jesus have had their sin washed away completely and totally, they can have this amazing confidence to come near to the presence of God because He's no longer just a judge sitting on a throne. But now he has adopted those who are Christians into his family and made them his sons and his daughters. So that when they do make a mistake, where do we go? We go to our Father, we confess what we have done, and we remember that the blood of Christ has washed away our sin. Why did the Hebrew Christians need to remember this? They needed to remember it because they were thinking of going back to the old system of offering sacrifices like lambs and goats and oxen. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, that system is finished. It is done. It was always here to point us forward to Christ and to show us that there was one perfect sacrifice that Christ would give. And that when that sacrifice came, all these other sacrifices had to cease. They had to stop. In fact, God made certain that they would stop. And he did that in 70 AD. In 70 AD, there was an uprising in Jerusalem. And the Roman powers that be were upset with the Jews, and so they set fire to the city. And the temple of God, the only place where those sacrifices, according to God's word, were allowed to be made, the temple of God was destroyed. That's why today, those who practice the Jewish faith do not offer blood sacrifices anymore, because they would be violating the Old Testament, Old Covenant law, because there's nowhere to do that. God made sure that the temple was destroyed so that they would realize that no longer do we offer ox and sheep and cattle as a sacrifice because Jesus Christ himself is the one sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world and washes clean all of those who put their faith and trust in him. And so verse 23 says, Let us therefore hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So the hope that we have to enter into the presence of God. If you are a Christian, that confidence and that hope that you have to enter into his presence, it is not based on what you have been able to do. It's not based on how much better you are than your neighbor at following laws and doing good deeds. It's based only on the perfection of Jesus Christ. 
That is the confidence that we have. And since Christ's finished work is what we put our faith and hope in, we can make sure that it is enough. If I had to go to the throne room of God and hope that my deeds were enough, I would be terrified. Because how do I know that it's good enough? In fact, the scriptures told me that it's not. Isaiah says that our righteousness, our best attempt at being holy, is like filthy rags before the king who is perfectly pure. So if my confidence is in me, then I have no business being confident. But if my Savior is Jesus Christ, if I have confessed my sin and received him as my Lord and King, and if I am believing every day that his grace is what washes me free from my sin, then I can come boldly into the throne of grace. I can pray to my God and know that he hears me. I can walk through trials and persecutions and know that he is with me and that he is providing for me. And I can know that when this life is done, and for every one of us, that day will come when this life is done, if my hope is in Christ, then I will pass from this life into the next with a full assurance that the work that Jesus did on my behalf is more than enough. I don't have to go back and offer another sacrifice again. The, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ was better than any lamb or any oxen. It not only covered every sin that I've ever committed, but it will cover every sin that I ever do commit from this time until my, my time of death. Jesus is all that we need. And so verse 24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day drawing near means the fact that there will one day be a day of judgment. God's not going to have patience forever on our sin. We see the, the world being filled more and more with sin. And one day God will return to put an end to all of them. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ will be received into glory as his sons and daughters. But those who have said no to Christ, who are trusting in their own righteousness to, to save them, are going to be utterly disappointed because all that remains for them is God's judgment. So let us think about that day, not hoping that we have done enough, but knowing that Christ has done enough. And in the meantime, let the grace of God, who has so mercifully washed us clean and, and, and done what we could not do for us, let it inspire us to want to be Christ-like in the way that we treat one another. Let us stir one another up to good deeds and good works so that we might be encouraged to be a part of the body of Christ. Now, I'm really grateful for those of you who come in early and listen to our devotion time. I'm really grateful to be able to spend this time with you. But this isn't properly what church is. This is an extension of the church. So I'd really encourage you, when, when the Lord's Day comes on a Sunday, go and find a church body to be connected to and to, to become... Uh, integrated into so that you might serve the Lord God, so you might regularly be hearing the preaching of, of the scriptures, so that you might be taught how to walk like Jesus walked, and so that you might be able to, to love one another as Christ has loved you. If you don't have a church to go to, we would love to invite you to come to our church. We meet at 9 o'clock for Sunday morning Sunday school, uh, where we get together and discuss the word face-to-face -face like this, and then at 10.30, our service starts in the sanctuary downstairs. And we all come together, and, and either I preach or Pastor Paul, who's also one of our elders here at the church, preaches. And, and we have a wonderful time together, singing hymns to the Lord, praising His name for all that He has done, praying for one another's needs. This is the gathering of the saints that is so important to our encouragement. These Hebrews, who were beginning to waver in their faith, were not gathering together. That's why they needed to be corrected. And that's part of the reason why they were becoming so afraid and started to lose faith because they were not around the brothers and sisters who were there to encourage them 
and to give them grace and hope and to point them back to the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we hope and pray that your hope is in Christ today, that it's not in yourself, that it's not in your own good deeds, but it's in the Son of God who came and took on flesh to be perfect and to live the law totally righteously and then to offer his body as a sacrifice for our sins. Let's have a word of prayer and then I'll give us some practical instructions before we pass out our numbers, okay? God, we love you. We thank you for the time that you've given to us to be together today. Please help us, Lord, to, to marvel at your word. It does not lie to us. It is not just the opinions of men that we're collecting together in a book. No, this, these pages of scripture, God, are your ordained message from heaven to earth, Lord. You are revealing yourself to us through the pages of your Bible. And so let us not think of it as just a book of suggestions but as a book of plain truth about who you are and what you desire for your people. God, help us to be rejoicing in the fact that our place in heaven is not something that we have to earn, Lord God, but it's something that you have earned on our behalf. And so I pray, Father, for, for everyone who has heard this gospel today, that your Holy Spirit will work inside of them to give them a repentant heart that they might trust in you and, and no longer look to themselves for salvation. We're grateful for this time we can spend together. Lord, help us to have great conversations and friendship and fellowship. And we pray it all in Jesus' perfect name. Amen. Amen.